Welcome to the Word on the Hill. <laughs> With the lanky guys. I am Father Peter Musset. I am Scotty P. Scott I like to call you Scotty P. Do you know that? I do. A lot of people do. Really? It's not uncommon. I was uh, talking to somebody and it was like a memorial mass and it was being offered for them. Hmm. And uh, I, I said the, the wrong name. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was That's like the and then they all looked at me like what are you doing man? Oh, and I was like, "Oh, dang it." Awful. I was like, "I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry." I was like, "I just had a conversation with that guy." Then then you're trying to you explain it. You have to it. make an excuse to sound like it's legitimate. You, oh, I do it all the time. I know. I know. It's it's just what happens. I am going to I'm going to do some I'm going to do it uh in the new year. Um I'm opening an email account. And uh, at the parish, I'm going to just say from the pulpit, and I'm going to put it in the bullet, and I'm going to say, if you actually want me to know your name, I want you to email a picture of yourself and your name. And then I'm going to make flashcards, because the truth of it is, is that when somebody should know my name and they don't know my name, I'm a little sad about it. That's true. That's why teachers always had seating assignments when we were in elementary school. Oh. You can know where they were. Powell. We would have sat kind of near each other. Yeah, pretty close. M- MNOP. Except for Jimmy O'Brien and Nellie Nudehouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to watch out for Nellie Nudehouse. <laughs> uh, she has trouble. She really Everybody knows that. Yeah, and the likelihood that Nellie Nudehouse listens to this podcast is. She's going to start this week. It's he, just our luck. I know. And she's going to. Come on, Nellie. And you're like, ah. Well, this has absolutely nothing to do with not, what we're going to be talking about today. We we don't plan this out. We just we, we just go with the flow. Hey, Merry Christmas, by the way. Merry Christmas. Wasn't it a wonderful Christmas? It was that we just celebrated a couple awesome days ago? Christmas. We Best celebrated one ever. I mean, just can't even tell you about basking in the glow <laughs> <laughs> of the Christmas lights. Oh my gosh, unbelievable time! And your yeah. homily on Christmas Day. Woo! Thank you. Thank Christmas you. Eve. Yeah, it's Sorry, we should confess we're we're recording this before Christmas. <laughs> it hasn't happened. Yet. There was one there was one Christmas homily that's still infamous. Uh-oh. That, that uh, I, like I didn't know what I was saying. I, I used oh, a word. No. I, you I used a word that I I thought meant something that I it really <laughs> didn't mean. And and still to this day, everybody will will uh, talk about that homily. What was it? What was the word? Dingleberry. <laughs> 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 What was the context? Dude, I was like, I was like, it's Christmas and it's exclamations of joy. I'm like, and I'm like, we should just say things that are happy, like, Alleluia and uh, Dingleberry. (laughs) And uh, and I didn't know what I was saying. If any of you don't know what Dingleberry is, do not Google it. Yeah, man, I I really felt I really felt That's stupid. Awesome. But the the funny thing is, is I didn't know that I had said it until <laughs> F- Father Kevin came to me and he was like, he's like, dude, um, what did you say in your Christmas homily? Because I have a couple in marriage That's prep, awesome. and the first time they came to the church was on Christmas, and they were like, and you gave this homily. Did you really say Dingleberry in your wow. homily? <laughs> Good job. Yeah. That's why you're pastor here. Yeah. Now. Actually, and I just realized it wasn't Christmas. That was an Easter homily. <laughs> even, even better. 
that's even better. Whoops, I'm sorry, everybody. I didn't really mean to lie to you. I love it. I just, I just associate Christmas and Easter are like, they're they're the best. I lied to them about how great of a Christmas we just had. Well, welcome to the Word on Hill, where we lie to you. Sometimes we promised a trip to the Holy Land in the first episode. I know. We really are not. We really do have integrity. We're not trying to deceive you. Some integrity. <laughs> that mic keeps slipping out of your hands. It does. Well, Christmas. Well, so Christmas. it's the feast of the Holy Family, which is a really cool feast. It's an amazing feast, and there, the the fe- just like all families, mm-hmm. there's a, a, a myriad of options. <laughs> We're trying to prepare for this uh, this reading, and um, wait, just like all families? Yeah, yeah. There's lots of options. I don't know <laughs> for like yeah. for like reading stuff. I mean, like that's true. I mean, I don't know. I look at your family. Oh man, and and it's we're fun. You're fun. We're a fun crew. It's a very it's a very interesting collection of individuals. <laughs> Thanks, man. And I look at my family, and it's equally yeah, interesting. interesting yeah, there's animals. there's lots of options. Yeah. What what did you, what did you have for uh, Christmas uh, or dinner? We already fessed up that. Oh shoot! We're, we're, <laughs> I was, trying to, I was trying to maintain the lie even afterward. So we have lots of options for the readings this week, and we've chosen. Mm-hmm. We we have determined that we're we're going to choose the the first reading as the uh, reading from First uh, Samuel. Oh yeah, which is a great reading. So the backstory for First Samuel it's it's actually a really cool story. So Hannah, who's one of my favorite biblical characters, she's got a really poopy lot in life. So the story begins, 1 Samuel begins with Hannah. She's married to this guy who's kind of a jerk. He's condescending. He's married to another woman as well. So there's two wives. This, and not, he, this guy doesn't have a good plan he going man. He's uh, also a Levitical priest, which stinks. So that tells you kind of about the state of affairs oof. back then. I'll, no t- good. I'll tell you this, man. I know married men, mm-hmm. and trying to keep one lady happy is hard. So having two wives, it's got to get really difficult. Yeah, I can't imagine. So it's, it's a rough boat. But she uh, and the other wife always makes fun of her because Hannah's barren. She can't have kids. And the other wife can. So the husband, you know, has this weird favoritism. The other wife is always mocking Hannah. So it's tough. So we open up the scene. They have gone down to Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was at that point in history. Okay. And they're they're. It's one of the feasts. It's one of the three pilgrim feasts. So it's probably the Feast of Tabernacles, kind of based on what else is going on. So they're down there. Everybody's partying. They're having a good time. And Hannah's miserable because mm. she sees her lot in life. So she goes to the tabernacle and she's praying. And the way the text kind of presents it gives the impression that this is what she does every single year. She's constantly in the tabernacle. She's constantly praying. She's taking her sorrow and she's always turning it over to the Lord. And it's it's really beautiful. The Jews saw Hannah as the model of prayer because she's persistent. She's always there. And if you remember the scene, so she's in the tabernacle, she's praying and she's, she's um, I don't know what she's doing, but she, she obviously looks interesting because there's this priest there named Eli and Eli sees her and she, he thinks she's drunk. Which is which is a bummer for her. It's it's funny that I love I love this text because the way it's set up, it says Hannah is there standing and pouring out her heart before the Lord. Eli, who's the priest, he's sitting. And there's there's this little subtlety. I mean, the position of a priest in the tabernacle is to be standing. So all of a sudden, you know, if you're a Jew and you're reading this, there's this subtle little implication that the priest is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's sitting down on the job while Hannah, on the other hand, is standing in prayer before the tabernacle, what he's supposed to be doing. And then you see he's not very discerning because he thinks she's drunk. And there's this great there's this great line. So he says, you've been drinking. You're out at the feast and you wandered into the tabernacle. And she says, no, you know, priest, I, I'm not 
I forget the language in the Hebrew. It's beautiful. She says, I'm not pouring wine into myself. I'm pouring myself out to the Lord. It's this really, really beautiful scene. So she's just, you know, her husband is a jerk. She's got this other co-wife who's a jerk. She's got, you know, this family. She can't have kids. She's now got a spiritual director that doesn't understand her and thinks she's drunk. So she's just pouring everything out. And she's probably doing this year after year. And she says to the Lord, if you will just look upon your lowly servant, if you'll, um, if you'll actually her name, Hannah, it means, um, to be favored, I think. So she literally says, if you will Hana me, if you will look with favor on me, Lord, then I will, if you'll give me a child, which is my, my dream, my heart's desire, I'll give him back to you. And so she's praying this thing. She's pouring herself out. She goes home and she gets pregnant. It's miraculous. And she has this child and she names him Samuel. And so where we pick it up in our reading is this moment where, and it, it's weird because if you don't get the backstory, you don't really know what's going on. So where we pick up the reading, it's where Hannah is now taking her son Samuel back to the tabernacle and going to present him before Eli, the priest, what she promised God she was going to do. So she's taking the son that she's waited her whole life for. She's been praying fervently. And now she's taking this tremendous gift that she's been waiting for and giving it totally back to God. Mm. And she actually reminds in the reading, she says to Eli, she's like, hey, I was the one who was standing here praying, kind of implying that you were not doing your job, but I was here. I was standing before the Lord. If you read on this, it's it's really cool. And in the following verses after the reading that we get, it says that little baby Samuel, who's probably a toddler by this point, yeah. is standing before the Lord and worshiping. And it says that oh. Hannah and Samuel are standing worshiping together, which is just cool because Samuel's not going to learn a whole lot from the priest Eli because he's kind of a he's kind of a rotten priest. We'll find out. He's got goods and bads, but he learned how to stand before the Lord from his holy mother, which uh, the church always saw as this huge foreshadowing of Mary who taught Jesus how to stand before the Lord in a certain sense when he was a baby. So it sets us up really well for this, the, the story of Mary and the holy family that we're going to get. Here's a really holy family, or at least a holy mother and a holy child who are being brought before the Lord. It's yeah. a really, really beautiful story. What does Samuel mean? Samuel means, uh, so it, there's debate. It's probably a derivative of Shamar and El, which means the Lord heard. Um, but there's a couple other derivations. Hebrew is kind of weird, but it's probably the Lord heard. So we have favored one and the Lord heard. Yeah. To so even the the names of the story are actually bringing out absolutely. W- w- it's like Hannah to be the favored one. She was favored by her husband. Yeah. But not by her true heavenly s- s- spouse. Right. It, 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 her experience was right. being favored by her her natural husband. Right. But she wanted to be favored by God. By God. By the Lord. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And it's funny. My um my wife named Annie you know, yep. is actually named after Hannah. Oh. But my, my um, mother and father-in-law didn't want to name her Hannah. So Anna is the, the derivative. And then we have a son, of course, uh, named Samuel, who oh. we prayed very fervent for. So it's it's kind of fits in our family story too. It's cool and cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I really like Samuel. and, and uh, Samuel's I, a stud. Yeah. I, He's I, one I, of the best figures in the Old Testament. I mean, I'm, I mean your son. Oh, my son is one of the best <laughs> figures in the parish. <laughs> amen, amen. Well, and, He's and, awesome. And, and uh, which means that I have to be a, a better priest because uh, he will be taught by me. And so That's true. My name isn't Eli, though. That's all right. The, there is an altar server named e- Eli. Is there really? Uh-huh. Eli's a cool name. It is. I like that name. It is. He likes remote control cars like me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's cool, though. The next psalm. So there's there's choices between the psalms as well, but... Um, I don't know what you're going to choose, but the first option is Psalm 128, which is the responsorial is blessed are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. And it's this, this idea, this is precisely what Hannah taught Samuel to do, to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to stand before him. Mm. So it's, it's a great little kind of segue there. Yeah. 
Which gets us to, there is no option for the gospel. No. Well, there is, but only one. You, that's not an option. Right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> There's only one option. I was trying to be cute, but it didn't work. No, that wasn't cute. Sorry. That's okay. We, oh, I forgive you, but that's okay because we Make will. He a sad face now. He, he is. He is. It's really sad, you guys. I don't. I actually. I repent of, of ever mocking you in my it's heart. Not your fault. And or out loud or being contentious, <laughs> discordant. I, I've set my will against you. I'm Dingleberry. sorry. <laughs> Dude, I that hurt. Sorry, that that, that cut, I didn't mean it. Cut to the quick. That's sorry. Th- things were feeling too serious. Yeah. He's lining it up. It'll be it'll be okay. We have fun by hurting each other. It's an unhealthy relationship. Okay. All right. So now we go from this moment in the temple where Hannah's praying fervently. She's standing up. We are making lots of very large hand gestures. Huge. She's standing up and there's a priest there and this whole thing and and she's standing up and he's sitting down and all these roles are inverted to the finding of the boy Jesus in the temple where Jesus is doing what? What's happening? Because we got this. We mean this. This is a. This is like a typical. Like, hey, let's pray this in the rosary. Yeah. No. Totally. This was the fourth. Fourth sorrow. No. The fourth joyful mystery. Fourth the joyful mystery. Of the Lord Jesus in the temple. Even though it's one of the seven sorrows of Mary's heart. Yeah, I've always kind of been fascinated by. But they find him. So that's good. They find him. That's joyful. If they didn't find him, they would have been a really <laughs> sorry. We probably wouldn't be celebrating their feast. Yeah, we wouldn't have a church, actually. No, probably not. I don't know. Everything would have been really different. It's a cool scene, though. So it begins by saying, it's Luke 2, 41. It says, each year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, which... Which they didn't have to do. They did. According to Jewish law, you had to make the pilgrim feast, didn't you? Or am oh, I mistaken on that? Only if you're within 18 miles. Oh, you're right. And they're three days walk, so they're actually just really pious. And they, they're in Nazareth by this point. Yeah, and, and it's obvious that they yeah. have a huge influence on their town because they're caravanning. Totally. So, so the town, so, so it's That's cool. So they're not obliged, but uh, and and the fact is, is that Mary didn't even have to do it. Only Joseph. Only Joseph. If he would, Joseph within his, if he's within eighteen miles, they mm. would have had to do one of the three. They would have had to do the three feasts. The three feasts. But Mary joins as well, and then Jesus is on top of this. So this is actually like, they're they're just good, like loving, wholehearted. Well, not only that. People. I mean, if that's true, they it wasn't required based on where they lived it says it begins by saying each year so continuously they do it so they're they're continuously faithful which again reminds me of hannah who every year you get the idea she's always going up she's always praying she's you know everybody else is out partying but she's before the lord and she's continually doing what she doesn't have to do which is totally what they're doing. That's kind of cool. Which is which is like the people who go to the Easter vigil because they know yeah. that it's beautiful. To go, who go to midnight mass and yeah. they, they want to celebrate the feast with like extra intention. And and there's and it's usually the same people because they they've they've recognized the beauty of God. I mean that's so. When I was growing up, I would always look around the church and notice how many people were sleeping during midnight mass. <laughs> that was always a fun game for me as a kid. <laughs> it's sleeping bingo. My dad was sometimes one of them. Well, no. I, un- I understand. He's just resting his eyes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No, it's that- a good sacrifice. I love him in MS. If once our kids get older, we're back to it. Yeah. But now we go to the 4.30 p.m. midnight mass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the vigil mass. This is the feast of the Holy Family. Yes. So we have to be remember and see that the the context of all of these readings is to help us to understand not only family, hmm. Holy Family, 
but it's but it's weird. It's actually it's it's actually kind of a weird experience of what family is because if you look at the first reading, there's going to oh, be a lot point. of people like it's it's not in God's plan that a man would have two wives. Right. It's it, not a good family. It, it, it that that's wow. that's that's a, that's a bad moment. Yeah. And then the the second experience of family we're going to see is is actually <laughs> also it's a little strange. You're it, right. It, it's a, it's not what we really see, and so yeah. so so it, it actually is much truer to the experience of family life. Really which g- people need to hear that, which, which is just kind of put this pie in the sky idea. Yeah, like oh, oh this, is, this is real life. This is real life, and and because we get to the the fact is is that Jesus is missing, and his parents are freaking out, yeah. which is pretty much how parents get. They freak yeah. out and. And even Mary, who has anxiety, right. even though she's free from sin, right? She's like, yeah. my goodness, and and she's G- not free from anxiety, though. She's not free from anxiety. Yeah. And you have um, you have this uh, this moment where Jesus is declaring that he is. Uh, he says, "You know what? I lo- I love you, Father, hmm. but I'm supposed to be in my Father's house." Yeah. And so there's it's also be a painful thing to hear. I mean. You know, a sword pierces Mary's heart, but this is certainly kind of a sword piercing Joseph's heart here too. Yeah, he's saying, "My true father." Right. That that in fact these bonds are important because because he recognizes him as yeah. father and, and is totally. obedient to it. But totally, totally. But we're having this kind of theophany yeah. of. Th- <laughs> I like the fact that as we're talking about theophanies, there's like. Crumbling things in the background. The going on back there. There's there's lots of theophanies. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what to, how to say food in Greek. There's a lot of different ways. Okay. We can say comer, which is Spanish. Comerophany, because somebody's feeding up the. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is this Perfect. is. This is why my Greek teacher and Latin teacher they said you paint with a wide brush. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice thing to say. It's cool. So it's he's twelve years old when they're doing this, right? So this means this is kind of the moment for Jesus. It's it's kind of the coming of age, right? This is just before you'd be bar mitzvahed. Yeah, it was probably a little bit prior to that, but um, this is like the moment. It's it's so funny. I love the way that Luke arranges things because for the first twelve years you have silence. There's nothing. We get the birth of Jesus, and then mm-hmm. you get nothing, and then you get this one moment when he's twelve, and then you get nothing again until he's thirty. Yeah. So you have these periods of silence punctuated right in the middle by this moment in the temple. I think the reason Luke does that is because Luke's whole gospel is centered around the temple. It begins in the temple and it ends in the temple because I think it's all centered around showing Jesus as the new temple. But you just kind of get this little insight here with silence on both sides and this, this period of just unknowing. We don't know what Jesus is up to. We don't know what the Holy Family are doing except for this moment. But we do see this continual faithfulness so jesus's first words that we know are why are you looking for me yeah kind of that we know that we know which is piercing actually it is isn't it why why are you looking for jesus scott <laughs> I don't know. No, I mean, I, I, I asked that. I, I'm just trying to get back at you for all the Socratic stuff. Stupid you're like, Socratic. you're like, that's not a Socratic question. That, that, no, that isn't. That's just a piercing spiritual. That's a spi- no, that's a spiritual direction no, question. Good. It's a good question, and that's a good question to ask on the Holy Family. That's true. What have you lost? Why are you looking for this? Yeah, it's it's such a funny scene, isn't it? Because they're not. You don't get the sense that Jesus is rebuking them. I think that's how we can read it sometimes. Yes. But but even the saints are convinced this is not a rebuke. He's not saying you guys you guys are crazy. What are you doing? 
but he's he's giving them this kind of affirmation that um, it's not that they had done something wrong, but he, he's instructing them on how their role as mom and dad has to be, like you said, kind of subordinate to this higher uh, fatherhood that he has, this other fatherhood in a real sense, which is true of all of us, but in an obviously unique way to Jesus. <laughs> yes. you know, it's, it's funny. I don't want to get ahead of us. I don't want to give away the punchline, but well, maybe I won't give the punchline yet. We'll wait on that. There's something, obviously, which we haven't talked about this, but there's something really significant about what's going on here. Is it with a connection to the first reading about standing and sitting? No. It's a connection to the end of the gospel. Okay. Well, one connection, that because we have to get here. We have to get to the punchline. We're holding. Because we, I've only got one more thing. I'm, <laughs> my pockets are empty. I've got one more. Well, it's, a, it's, it's beautiful because huh. as you see this boy, Jesus, the wisdom incarnate right. coming in, and he's, he's astounding the, uh, the, the teachers. They said they're listening yeah. to him and asking, and he's listening to them and asking them questions. Yes. And, all, and at his understanding... And they were astonished too, the parents. And so you have these, this kind of dual experience of, of everybody just going like, what? Like, yeah. like just this, this kind of revelation, this glorious glimmer. There's a painting I see in my mind where the, the boy Jesus is actually standing and he's illuminated. He's a little bit brighter than everybody around him. And all of the rabbis are sitting around him, listening to the teacher. Wow. And, uh, and w- which is just beautiful because if you actually take the postures from the yeah. first reading to which this. Which are really important, especially for the ancient Jews. Postures were everything. Yes. And, and you can just imagine them just wanting to settle in. But, but didn't the, this is my question, and you know this better than me. Um, I always thought that what, what it used to be is that the, the teacher would sit and teach and then everybody would stand, whereas yes. nowadays we have the teacher standing and everybody else seated. Correct. Well, was everybody else standing? I know, I, I know the posture of the teacher. The teacher, the posture of the teacher was to sit. The okay. rabbinic teaching posture. Yes. Which um, I don't know what everybody else would have been doing, though. To be totally honest, I, I always assumed they were sitting as well. But here's what's interesting about Jesus. So that does kind of raise this question about, especially if that if that's true, if that art. The iconography is true on that, that Jesus is standing and everyone else is sitting. You get the sense, I mean, if you go back to the, this is where the scripture loves to interpret itself. So if you go back to the first reading, or at least the context surrounding it, the teacher sits, but who does not sit? Sorry, that's Socratic. The priest stands. <laughs> the priest So Jesus stands. is, I, it's so beautiful because the, the rabbis, rabbinic tradition came about because the the Levitical priests had nowhere to be priests anymore. It, it, the, the rabbis weren't, you didn't have rabbis in Jewish history until the temple was destroyed the first time and they were exiled up in Babylon. Oh. So you didn't have a temple. You didn't have Levitical priests. You couldn't offer sacrifice. You couldn't do a liturgy. So if you lose the temple, if you lose the sacrifice, if you lose, for all intents and purposes, the priesthood, what do you have left as, an, as, a, as a faithful Jew? Well, you have the word of God. So they developed the rabbinic tradition where they would have teachers of the word. If we can't do the liturgy, if we can't have sacrifice, we still have God's word. So we will proclaim it and we will teach it. That's where rabbis come from. And then when they came back, and that's where the synagogues come from. Okay, mm. if we can't have a temple, we'll have these little synagogos, which is where we get the word synergy from, gathering together of people. And then when they came back from the exile, they just brought that with them. So all of a sudden in Jesus' time, you have priests and teachers. What Jesus is doing, which is so significant, he is acting as a teacher because he's teaching, but he's standing as a priest. So he is the priest rabbi. He's the priest teacher, which didn't exist. So he's kind of bringing together this whole thing. He's more than a teacher. He's a priest teacher. And he's a king. Wow. Which priest, is prophet and king. 
which is actually the the forerunning to what we're actually going to experience in our yeah. in uh, the liturgy, the word liturgy, the Eucharist in, in the Mass exactly. today. Exactly, it's uniting those two things, which we do in the Mass. That's really cool. That's a cool connection. That is a really cool connection. So I think the the most significant thing that's going. So there's so many things in this in this gospel reading which are just cool, but. How long, how many days are they looking for Jesus? Three days. Three days. So think about this. They lose Jesus. Then three days later, they discover him again. Now, what are we supposed to be thinking of when we read that? Uh, how about um, the dude who was in the whale, Jonah? But what are we as Christians supposed to be thinking about? Jonah, for sure. Um, who's for three days in the belly of the whale. All of which is prefiguring what, though? Um, 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 oh, Father, we're gonna have to edit this because you're gonna feel bad. <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding. This oh, is, you're just playing. I'm just I'm playing. So, I didn't mean I, to be Socratic. It's, it's, the, it's the death and the oh, resurrection, it's the three it days is. in the earth. I was, I, <laughs> see, I was because somebody was saying, You, yeah, that one's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's really cool though. St. Ambrose, I have a quote from St. Ambrose in front of me, and he said, uh, this might, I think this is a paraphrase, but he said in the discovery of Je the discovery of Jesus in the temple prefigures his resurrection. Well, Christ will be three days absent in death, only to be found again in the flesh. So the anxiety following his burial likewise gave, likewise gave joy, gave way to joy at his rising, just as the anguish and the anxiety that Mary and Joseph and the Holy Family felt gave way to joy when they finally found him three days later in the flesh as teacher, as priest. It's just kind of a beautiful connection that Luke's giving us. Luke, Luke is, Luke's neat. I love Luke because he's constantly pointing us toward the end. The scene in the temple here is pointing us toward the end of the story where we'll be in the temple again with a new temple. The scene of the three days, it's pointing us ahead to the three days when Jesus is going to disappear again. The, 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 the scene for Pete's sake, think about it, the road to Emmaus, which is your bread and butter. You well, love the road to Emmaus. Well, that's actually where I was. I, I was just sitting here. Like, actually, I just closed my eyes and I just went into- I you were asleep to win into this place where you have this major event of them. We think that this is supposed to be a certain way and they yes. lost it and they, they lost the vision. They lost the understanding and they're moving away from all of the work. And then the, and, and the loss isn't realized until they actually have the liturgy of the word yeah. until the word oh, is yes. actually opened up again. Absolutely. And even, even visually, I mean, I, I think there's evidence, you, you know this, you believe this. I think there's evidence that the, the two people in the road to Emmaus story at the very end of the gospel are a, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman Absolutely. who are walking away from Jerusalem, having lost Jesus in a certain sense, right? That's what they're doing. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're going home to Emmaus because this Jesus is gone. It's done. But all of that is prefigured by another husband and wife, another man and a woman who are walking away from Jerusalem, having lost Jesus, only mm. to rediscover him, though. But it's it's all this. It's all connected. It's all connected, and then and then the discovery of the father's house. Yeah, that's that's actually the interesting thing is that it is that is that Jesus is 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 his whole work is actually to supplant the temple so that we can yes. actually have renewed worship and sacrifice in spirit and in truth towards the father. And that's where the disciples on the road to Emmaus end up is that they, they actually discover the father's house yes. and they're invited into the father's house in a, in a new way that, that, that they kind of had to witness it from the outside with the discovery of the boy Jesus in the temple yeah. teaching, whereas actually there's an entering into that relationship in a way that, um, like we talked in, in, in the fourth Sunday of Advent, that actually involves the eating 
yes. of, and the consumption and the taking into ourselves of the shepherd. Yeah. So in, oh man, you know, in the, in the, here in the, in the Greek, when it says, I must be in my father's house. Yeah. Literally it says, I must be in that of my father. The Greek is, is a weird construction, but it says in that of my father, which could be the temple, but it also could be, did you not know I was in my father's will? Mm. So in, in a more general sense than this building, mm. I'm in my father's house, which is, which is his mission, which is again, why, why the road to Emmaus story is so cool because he's supplanted, like you said, he's supplanted this whole idea. We don't have to go to the temple to find God anymore. God himself has left the temple and come to us. And God goes to these people's house themselves and there they partake and, and they, God goes into them. He, they eat him literally instead of going into his house, he enters them. It's just, it's a beautiful deal. Does that sound weird? No, no. It, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it sounds, our faith just sounds weird. There's no way around it. We eat God every, every day. If you want to, that's weird, but how profound that that's what the plan from all time is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how we're, we are meant to engage. It's this profound inversion of all the efforts that we make to try to attempt, it's, attempt to, to worship God. He actually flips it and allows us to enter into his worship. And yeah. it's just awesome. In a way that nobody ever, ever in a million years dreamt of. No. But which, if you go back, you can see it. You can pick up the pieces in hindsight and be like, oh. That actually makes sense. And that's why the Feast of the Holy Family is about the Lord inviting us into his family in a way that is mysterious, uh, into, in, 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 mysterious into his relationship with the Father. Did you not know that we could be in the Father's will? That in fact, uh, you can function at all times and, and, uh, and uh, in this grace. My friends, thank you for listening today. But as St. Thomas Aquinas said... If I would have had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. God bless you from the Lanky Guys. See ya. This podcast is a production of the St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center and the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought in Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org. See you next week.